Lord. Now that we've uh, explained when the second coming is actually going to be here, we will move on to our lesson. <laughs> okay. Uh, starting with section 52. Notice that we're still in Kirtland. It's June 7th. And uh, Joseph gets this revelation saying, uh, Thus saith the Lord unto the elders whom he hath called, saying, I make unto you, make known unto you what I will do that you shall do from this time until the next conference, which shall be held where? In Missouri, upon the land which I will consecrate unto my people. Okay? Who are remnant of the house of Jacob, meaning. Remnants of the house of Jacob would be who? <coughs> Lamanites. And who? Those who were heirs according to the covenant. And that would be us. Okay? Verily I say unto you, let my servants Joseph Smith Jr. and Sidney Rigdon take their journey as soon as preparations can be made to leave their homes and journey to the land of Missouri. Insomuch as they are faithful unto me, it shall be note unto them what they shall do. That's kind of a fascinating deal, isn't it? Just go. Uh, you're going to meet. Your, your next conference is in Missouri. I'll tell you what to do when you get there. Uh, now, again, these are all East Coast guys. These are people that have kind of grown up over here. And to go out to Missouri is to go out into the wilderness. That is just out there. Okay? Um, they had no idea how out there, out there really was. But they were just going to go and, and be out there. Um, so they're now going to travel. Uh, there will be a, a number of the brethren that will go. Uh, the Lord is going to give, going to set up the mission calls. Uh, Lyman White. Uh, John Carell, Cor uh, John Murdoch, Hiram Smith. I mean, he's just calling this out. Here's what you're going to be doing. Uh, and by the way, let Lyman White beware for Satan de desire to shift him as chaff. Um, if you look at this, part of what we're trying to do here is, uh, in the past, like gospel doctrine, we look at the doctrine covenants as scripture, and we study it as scripture. And we have just enough history on the, on the outer edges to understand the, the doctrine in the doctrine and covenants, right? We're reversing that here. We're trying to use the Doctrine and Covenants and the Revelations as history. They're going to drive us so it's going to tell us what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. And this is one of those moments where we see the church rolling forward and say, now we want you to, you just landed in Kirtland. We should be happy. And, and six months later, where are we going? Missouri. So this is where we kind of get a little bit confused sometimes between this is the Kirtland stuff, this is the Missouri stuff. This stuff happens in Kirtland, this stuff happens in Missouri. And, and, and they're going to establish this and then this is going to be the land of inheritance. And, and so who gets to go out to Missouri? Can anybody just go to the, and receive your inheritance in Missouri? No. You have to be called to go to Missouri. You, have to, you and your family have to make certain covenants before you can go to Missouri. You have to pass like a temple recommend and there will be questions like will you live the Ten Commandments? Will you commit your properties? Will you, will you, will you? Okay, 
Now, if, not, if the whole family can't commit, you stay in Kirtland. Only the kind of the those that are worthy and prepared get to go out to Missouri and and get their inheritance. Interesting. Okay. What's that? Good question. Uh, because there really was a sense what we're about to do is we're going to create a Zion. And everybody in Zion, according to, if you're studying Enoch, he says Zion meant what? One heart, one mind. In other words, the only those that are going to go out there that can be uh, of one heart. And in order to do that, it's, it's a little bit like going to the temple and standing in a prayer circle. And you need to make sure that you... Don't have a heart of offense towards anyone, so we will be completely united. So they were going to be very carefully select who gets to go to Missouri. Okay. Were, were they living the United Order at the time? They were starting to develop it in Kirtland, but the idea was when you get out to, uh, they're about to find out when, when they're going to arrive in, in New Jerusalem. We'll talk about that in, this, in a second. They're going to get out there. Now they're going to get instructions, and it's like those that are coming are going to be living the law of consecration. There will be land. There will be a store. There will be all of these things, and we're going to do this as a group. Which, in theory, sounds lovely. Mm-hmm. Unless you're landing in a group of uh, Gentile heathens. <laughs> and the gang out on the outer edges of the country out there were anything but genteel. Uh, that was part of the problem. Yeah? If they were called and refused to go, were they cut off? Uh, he says if they were called and refused to go were they cut off no you can stay in Kirtland but you just but, it, for, but for them it was such a privilege and, a, and actually it was just the opposite those that weren't called were resentful think about what, you're, about what we're talking about doing here uh, Cindy and I were looking at a, a, a video last night on, on and, and one of the uh, church scholars was saying basically this. Uh, he says, if, if you have to picture it, part of what emerges through revelation to Joseph Smith is that Joseph is not wanting to create congregations. What does he want to create? Cities. He wants to cre- he's not trying to create a church over here. He's trying to create a city with a temple in the middle. It would be cities of God, right? And so I'm going to create something and, and, and probably next semester we'll be talking about the, the plot. Might, might be, we might get it in the next few weeks. The, the plot of the New Jerusalem as it's going to be drawn out. And it has this amazing structure, but it has the temple in the middle. And so, if you're going to do that, then this is going to be then a stake. Any other stakes, like the first stake in the church, is Kirtland. Because it is a stake of what? The New Jerusalem, the city of Zion. This is one of the, the if the tent pole is in Zion, the stake comes out here, and now there's a, or the, the, the stake, you're going to plant the stake in the city of Kirtland, but it's a stake of New Jerusalem. It's a stake of Zion. Okay? Now, if this is a city, 
not a congregation, what are you going to call the individual units inside a stake? Town? No, a ward. Why? Because a ward was... It's a, a, a ward, think about, a, a ward is a geographical area inside a city. The idea was, that's why we do it in geographical areas. It's part of a city structure. That's why they were called wards, not churches or congregations. Okay? Because it was part of a city. Joseph was planting cities. What would happen if this city, which in one case can be like 10 miles square, this city fills up and it has a temple in the middle. What do you do next? Build another city. So you build another city, 10 feet, 10 miles square, and you put another temple in the middle. Okay? And then what happens when that one fills up? You build another city with another temple in the middle, full of wards, and it's another stake. Then what do you do when that fills up? And that's what Joseph was saying. One day this, this church will fill the entire earth. And it will do it plot by plot, city by city, slowly expanding outward. That was his vision that slowly came to him. Now, did he have this vision at this moment in June of 1831? Oh, heck no. <laughs> no. Part of what we're getting is this idea always of this is all line upon line. Joseph doesn't, you know, I was laughing again. I heard another podcast from another wonderful LDS scholar this week going, what Joseph was really trying to do was, and he, you know, and he's mixing this chaos and, and, and conformity. And t- uh, no, he wasn't. <laughs> he wasn't sure. It was all, it, when a revelation came to Joseph Smith, he stepped back the same as everybody else in the room and went, wow, that's cool. I had no idea. Did you? No, I didn't either. Okay. This is a commandment to all of us, not the least of which me, who just received the revelation. Because it didn't come through my brain. It came through my brain, but this is not my ideas. The Lord is, I guess the Lord is telling us to go to Missouri. Ever been to Missouri? No. Okay. Guess we pack up and away we go. And that's what they did. So in June of 1831, here comes this revelation. Yep, your next conference is not in Kirtland. Your next conference is in Missouri. And we'll show you where it is. And off they go. Okay? And and then we're going to get instructions. So what's going to happen here is is that as they prepare to go out though they are going to be given directions who can go to Zion what are the what are the qualifications for people living in Zion and and the Lord's pattern begins to emerge verse 14 I give you your pattern okay now Wherefore, he that prayeth, whose spirit is contrite, the same is accepted. He that speaketh, whose spirit is contrite, whose language is meek and edifieth, the same is of God. If he obey mine ordinances, um, and, and he that overcomes. And you start getting this idea that says, if we're going to the New Jerusalem, if we're going to Zion, we've got to be better. We have to be better. Otherwise, we're not going to be accepted. And this commandment, verse 21, is given to all the elders I have chosen. Okay, and so here's all here's all the directions. Okay? Alright, now 
So they travel. It takes them some. It takes them some time to get there. Uh, they are. Uh, they're trying to fo follow the waterways as much as they can. Uh, they're they're told to kind of go in different directions. Uh, for instance, Hiram Smith is told to go north, and pr they're supposed to preach the gospel while they go, and then they're all going to meet in in Independence, Missouri. Hiram is told to go through Detroit, for instance. Anybody know why Hiram Smith would be told to go to Detroit? I would imagine to share the gospel with someone. Well, he's sharing the gospel with who? No, uh, Lucy Mack Smith, the Macks, her side of the family settled Detroit. Oh, okay. Okay, there, there were some prominent Macks in Detroit. Probably where the Mack trucks came from. I don't know, I'm guessing. <laughs> to guess. <laughs> anyway, stream to, and so you guys are going to come different directions. You're going to teach the gospel all the way there. Uh, unfortunately, Joseph, they get when they get to the Mississippi, they get to St. Louis, uh, there's no other way to go. Civilization is kind of ending at St. Louis. So from here on out, we're going to now go, we've got to make our way overland, over Missouri to get to Independence. Um, now, let, let me just put one other piece to this in your mind, because it's going to make sense with some of the events that happen. Um, if you are a member of the church in Kirtland, this is June of 1831, if you were a member of the church in Kirtland, how long have you been a member? At the maximum. Six months. Yeah, because you joined the church. Joe's member. So, so the 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 uh, the brethren roll into into Kirtland in October. Uh, Sidney Rigdon travels up to Palmyra and Manchester in November. They leave behind about 200 saints in Kirtland that are starting to grow and teach and train each other in November, December, January. They're joining the church. Joseph comes in February. And now this revelation comes in June. So sometimes it's really important to see the timeline on this. So if you're a member of the church in Kirtland, what's the maximum amount of time you might have been a member? Six months. And most likely less than that. If you are a member of the church in Kirtland, how long have you known the prophet Joseph Smith? three or four months because he showed up in February this is June so you haven't known him now to give you an idea when we think about who a prophet is and what a prophet does and what a prophet should look like sometimes I, I love sometimes these old uh, movies about about Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, and we get all these kind of, okay? And, and one of the things that's amazing about these movies about Jesus is that he walks around and everything that comes out of his mouth is pure scripture. <laughs> you know, every time somebody says something to him, out comes scripture. You know, and he's just quoting scripture, you know, all the time. Now, if you have a prophet in your midst, what should a prophet be doing? Spouting scripture at all points. Yes. How are you? Thus saith the Lord, I am fine. 
Shall we come over for dinner? I have consulted the Lord, and he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, come over for dinner. <laughs> and it will be well with you, and you will have a feast. Oh, well, thank you so much. Okay. You know, we have these views of what a prophet would be. Now, if you're going to travel for months with Joseph Smith across the western United States in rain and mud and dirt and whole, you know, and cold days and wet days and stuff like that, and, you're just, and your feet are sore, are you going to get a, thus saith the Lord, my feet hurt? <laughs> what are you going to get? The real guy. <laughs> Okay, so by the time we get to independence, they're seeing the real Joseph. That it's like sometimes he's a prophet and he's and out and out comes these beautiful revelations, and sometimes it's just him being cranky. It's been a long day. <laughs> and they're seeing this whole human view of him in a way that they had whatever view they had of Joseph before they left Kirtland, it kind of was destroyed by the time they got to independence. He was a real dude, okay, who had his moments. And by the way, how about the rest of them? Probably even less so, less so right? Yeah. That's kind of like when President Nelson was a general authority and was given permission to leave and go do heart surgery. Yeah. Someone, I mean, he stepped out of his well. Well, how about Ezra Taft Benson? Ezra Taft Benson, who is, who is an apostle, and then he gets a call from the White House under Eisenhower to be the Secretary of Agriculture. So now you have an apostle who now goes to Washington, D.C. and does the Washington, D.C. thing. And he's trying to do kind of the apostle things to a certain extent. But man, that's tough. Now you gotta, you gotta be this mundane guy, you know. I've been, I, I've told the story in here before. Um, years ago, um, I, I went to Home Depot on a Saturday morning because I was trying to pick up some things. This is in uh, Orem, I think. And uh, and I'm standing there in the aisle, and and I, I hear Martha, <laughs> Martha, and I thought. That sounds like El Tom Perry. <laughs> Martha! <laughs> uh, well, it could be. <laughs> so I actually walked to the end of the aisle and I peeked around the other side. <laughs> and it was. <laughs> but he, he was wearing overalls that were kind of floods. They were kind of about halfway up here. <laughs> and red boots. <laughs> and his granddaughter was running down the aisle and go, Martha, come back. <laughs> no, this is an apostle. You know, verily I say unto you, return to me. <laughs> well, I think that's the kind of experiences they're having on the way to independence with Joseph. They're seeing the, the real people and they're having to come to know. And by the way, Joseph is getting a chance to know who they are. Their, their true colors are showing up here. Okay, so... Off they go, and they're going to land there. In fact, uh, let, let me back up just a little bit. Uh, no, I didn't put it in here. Dang it. Okay. There it is. <laughs> I had it in the right order after all. Dang. Okay. 
How many have been to Independence before? Okay, a lot of you. So, so you recognize that for those who, who don't know, uh, the, the conch shell in the middle is Community of Christ. Okay, this whole area though was part of the was, was part of the original temple lot. Right. Okay. Uh, so, you know what? I think I've got. Ah, look at that. Okay. I keep forgetting I have one of these things that's good for pointing and for cats. Okay. So this whole area was the original temple lot area. Okay. We have the uh, the. Uh, Community of Christ that was to reorganize, and they're, they're parking lot here. Our visitor center is right here, and the parking lot, and our stake center right here. Here is their, here's the Community of Christ, their area. This is the area over here that we traded uh, for the uh, old burial ground in Nauvoo. That's why if you go to Nauvoo, you must go to the old burial ground because it was that important to the church to trade this chunk of land here for the old burial ground. It's that cool. And we okay. traded part of that land for the Nauvoo temple land too. Yeah, we did. There was kind of a swap of, of both yeah. of it. Yeah, exactly. Do you, do you, I, you know, I honestly don't know what part in Missouri they... Do you know what we traded... Yeah, it, it, it was this area over here, and I'm try, I can't remember. I can't tell you how I know that, but I've been I've studied that because I wanted to know specifically yeah, what we were trading out. But that getting the old burial ground was that was that in Nauvoo was that important yeah, to us? Yeah, we got the the rest of the Nauvoo Temple land. Yeah, as well. Absolutely. Okay, which is funny, even more than the Smith Graves, even more than the Nauvoo House, even uh, all that was the burial ground. Yeah. Oh, <clears throat> we lived in the Independence State from 1993. Yeah. When we were there, they wanted to have the tabernacle part of there, and they said yes, and so they performed um, in the auditorium. But the church mm -hmm. owns all the land behind the Dave's Center. Yeah, it does. It's plenty of, it's plenty of land to build a temple in that. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, uh, so what, where, where the, the brethren are streaming towards and where they will stand on their, on their way here is right here. There's the Temple Lot Church right here that owns a chunk of it. But this is that in the middle. That's where they, that's where they went. That's where they, that's where they were streaming towards was that particular little spot right here. Okay? The sign for it is right there. Was that where the columns at when I was supposed to put? Where Joseph planted a stone, a pillar. Yeah. Right here. Yeah. Uh-huh. Can I ask a question? Yeah. What was the um, what was the United States the land of the law was like? Uh, did Joseph Smith the with his uh, with his council and the elders did they have a certain guys to deal with the local government about 
Those kind of the politics things. Ah, she she says she's wondering what the kind of the policy was in working with the local governments and everything. I, I believe they're not going to just go in there and then going. Oh in no! There, do whatever they want. Good good point. Uh, hold on to that because the instruction is going to be you have to start purchasing land. They're going to have to buy it. They don't just go, hey, we're taking over, uh, which unfortunately is exactly what they did. Hey, we're taking over. <laughs> Uh, and by the way, your horse, your horse track racing is really wrong, and you know. Um, so yeah, they, they were going to have to purchase, and in fact, the the purchase of the land, kind of going this way towards the river, was caused a rift between Joseph and Edward Partridge, and, and we'll we'll talk about that in a sec. Okay, so let's go to DNC fifty seven. Because now we've arrived. It's now July 20th. They've made it. They're kind of a bedraggled group. Uh, they're finally standing together. They've reunited with Oliver Cowdery, uh, who Oliver Cowdery tried to preach to the Indians. The, they were doing great, and then the uh, Indian agents run them off. Um, so Oliver Cowdery decides to start preaching to the local people. Okay, now. This will become really kind of important. Um, Susan Easton Black, who's a wonderful, has been a wonderful church historian and, and uh, religion professor at BYU, has done a lot of research in this area. And part of what uh, Sister Black, uh, now Sister Durant, I guess, because uh, she married uh, George Durant, um, said that um, so many, uh, so much of Missouri was settled by Southerners. They were they were pouring out of Mississippi and Georgia and Alabama, and they they were they were very much uh, slave owners and 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 uh, so Missouri was going to be a slave state, um, and they had that that Southern mentality that that went with that, and they were really a rough rough group and they were immediately really suspicious of the northerners because northerners coming out of the north you could have two brands of you one was sort of bad and one was really bad and one would be would be anti-slavery and the other one would be abolitionists the anti-slavery people didn't like slavery the abolitionists would mess with your property and they would try and run the try and figure out a way to get the slaves out of town kind of thing and they weren't quite sure and the fact that we were messing with the Indians meant that we might have some real and 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 yes they were very anti-slavery uh, WW Phelps got us in trouble with some things that he wrote in the newspaper okay we'll talk about that when we get to 1833 we're not there yet but um, so they get in uh, July of July 20th, 1831. They've arrived. This is the place. Um, verse two. This is the land of promise, the place of the city of Zion. We're not establishing a church here. We're going to establish a city. Now again, that's also going to be kind of threatening to the locals. We're about to establish a city, and this will be the center spot uh, where the temple goes, and then it's going to then go out from there. Okay, this is the place. It's now called Independence. It's the center place. The spot of the temple is lying westward upon a lot which is not far from the courthouse. The old courthouse is no longer there, but there's a current courthouse, and it was that's why just west of that. That's where it is. Okay. 
Uh, it's wisdom. The land should be purchased. You don't, you don't just, to just come in and take it over. It needs to be purchased by the saints. And every tract lying westward, even unto the line running directly between Jew and Gentile. Kind of interesting. Lamanite and Gentile. Kind of what he's saying. Okay. Every tract bordering by the prairies, insomuch as my disciples are enabled to buy land, it's wisdom that you may obtain it for an everlasting inheritance. Uh, Sidney Gilbert is to stand in the office. He's, he's going to be one of the, the agents out there to purchase it. Edward Partridge stand in his office, which was bishop. Okay. And... and Stand in that office, divide unto the saints their inheritance. Uh, Sidney Gilbert is supposed to establish the store. Now, by the way, if, if you are the merchants living in Independence, and there's not that, there's only a couple of hundred people in Independence when they show up, but if you're one of the store owners, and these new guys are coming into town, and they're going to have their own store... That's also not good. So we're going to buy from us and we're not going to buy from you. Well, how many of you are coming? Oh, hundreds. There will be hundreds of people pouring into here because this is our city. <laughs> okay? But we're all going to buy from the Gilbert store. We're not buying from you. Okay? Okay, obtain a license. Do this right. He may send goods unto the people as clerks employed by his service. Okay? So you're getting all of this. So here's the establishment. So now, now they're beginning to see. And the Lord is giving specific, specific guidance about how this is going to now be established. Okay? Alright, now. Let's now go to section 58. It's time for the conference. It's August 1st. We've been there. Uh, by the way, Joseph is really kind of disappointed in the work that Oliver Cowdery and those guys have done. And he can't really blame them too much. They had ten converts. <laughs> They'd been out there preaching for six months. They had ten converts. Gives you an idea just how rough they were. Uh, they had ten converts. The Sabbath was like not happening. That's why we're about to get section 59 on the Sabbath day while they're there. Uh, if we have time, we'll, we'll get to that. But they were a really, really rough lot. The biggest thing there was horse racing and alcohol, uh, and not necessarily in that order. Okay? So here they are, August 1st, the first Sabbath. Okay? There they are. Um, the two members are received into baptism. And also, the first gang is coming from Kirtland. Who would be coming from Kirtland that has already passed the stringent requirements to receive an inheritance in Missouri? It is the Colesville Saints. And this Colesville branch is kind of an unusual branch under the direction of... Isaac Morley, I think, has come with him. Okay, unusual group. They'd come from Colesville, New York. They landed in Kirtland. They thought they had an inheritance in Kirtland. The guy reneged on the property. So now they were able, under uh, by permission of Joseph Smith, to come together. So the the Colesville branch shows up. Here's the brethren. We're all in independence. It's time for a conference. It's time for a meeting. And here comes the direction. Now.
Lord's going to do something very interesting here. Uh, and that is that these are people that are coming with kind of a millennial view. Why are we going to Missouri? It's the New Jerusalem. Why would we want to build the New Jerusalem? So the Savior can come. It is our job to travel to Missouri to create the moment for the Savior to come. Well, that's kind of heady uh, assignment, isn't it? That's pretty cool. Wow. Who are you guys? Well, we're Mormonites and we're on our way to Missouri. Why? Because we're bringing the second coming. Wow. Did they put their own spin on what they were commanded to do? So, like, they become a little obsessed and then they kind of put their own spin on it? Or was that... What, 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 what do you mean their own spin? Just their own ideas, like thinking that the Savior was coming oh. right now kind of attitude? Hang on to that. Oh, okay. Hang on to that, because they're getting help. Well, we can't really blame them for that. Okay. Look at, look at 50, section 58. Okay. Hearken, O ye elders of my church, and give ear to my word, and learn of me that I will concerning you, and also concerning this land unto which I have sent you. Verse 2, I say unto you, Blessed is he that keepeth the commandments, whether in life or death. Uh, stop. Uh, the first... I don't know if I put it in here. Oh, I thought I... Yes. I, I'm hopping down to verse 15. Uh, nope, not there. Um, uh, Brother Whitney... John? No. Neil K. Whitney. No, not, not, not Whitney. I'm blocking on it. From New York. Joseph Knight. Joseph Knight Sr.'s wife dies now. She is the first death in Missouri. And, it is just, and it's just happened. I guess the, the journey from New York to Kirtland and now to Missouri taxed her and she dies okay so that death is very much on their mind blessed is he that keepeth my commandments whether in life or in death he that is faithful in tribulation the reward is the same the same is greater in the kingdom of heaven okay now to this little band standing in the midst of this rough area on the edge of civilization he says you cannot behold with your natural eyes for the present time the design of your God concerning the things which shall come hereafter and the glory which shall follow after much tribulation for after much tribulation cometh the blessings the hour is not yet but is nigh at hand now, I believe that that little intrepid band standing in independence on that, on that piece of prairie there didn't have a nice lawn yet, you know, no sidewalks. They're just, it's a piece of prairie. And as they're standing there and, and the Lord is saying to them, um, you, can't, you can't see it. The glory will come after much tribulation, for actual much, after much tribulation cometh the blessing. The hour is not yet, but is nigh at hand. When they heard the word tribulation, 
I think it's a little bit like Adam and Eve standing in the garden and the Lord says, don't eat the fruit or you will die. And they go, die? Okay. We don't really know what die means. Uh, or we're standing in the pre-existence and, he, and the Lord says to us, it will be hard. Mortality is going to be rough. And we go, okay. But we want to be like you, so we're willing to go do mortality, I guess. That'll be hard. Okay? We don't know hard. We don't know die. We just know. And he's saying tribulation. Did they have any idea of the tribulation that was coming? They'd had some, we had some pushback, we, threatenings of mobbings and things in New York. Uh, but the Kirtland Saints are like, everything's still pretty hunky-dory. Our, our, our biggest tribulation was just having to hike a thousand miles to get here. Okay? At this moment, how long will they stay in independence? This is, this is July, this is August of 1831. How long will the Saints be in Kirtland, or in uh, Independence. Until November 33. Yes. It's only two and a half years. And in fact, two years, in the summer of 1833, they're going to be told to leave, and they're going to destroy the press, and then in October, November, they're still there. Some are leaving, but most are staying, and that's when they will be. And we'll, we'll get to that, the, the, that faithful night where they're, where they're swimming across the river and trying to get away in the middle of a rainstorm. And they land on the other side in a bedraggled kind of situation, right about where our temple exists now. Okay? That one's coming, but it's only two and a half years. So they're going... Uh, after uh, the glory which shall come after much tribulation, they had no idea the kind of tribulation that was coming. Uh, but they just knew it was going to be Zion. Okay? Um, glory shall come. associate this tribulation with the tribulation discussed in Revelation? I think to a certain extent, they would have almost welcomed it. It's like we will be like Paul. You know, I'm going to go through much tribulation because the saints were persecuted and that will actually make us better. Okay? Alright, now. Also, you're going to... And, um, I, I love these. For this cause I have sent you, that you might be obedient, verse 6, and that your hearts might be prepared to bear testimony of the things which are to come. So those of you who are here, you're going to have a job to bear testimony of what you have seen and experienced here. Uh, and you're going to be honored in laying the foundation and in bearing record of the land upon which Zion shall stand. And then he's going to do an interesting thing. And I need you to see how the Lord is putting this together. If you read through it too fast, you'll miss it. Um, because verse 8... Uh, let me jump, just jump down to the part that I've highlighted in yellow. Verse 8. And that the, that the earth may know that the mouths of prophets shall not fail. One of the reasons you will bear testimony is I need you to bear testimony that prophets are on the earth and that they bear witness and that it comes to pass. That's how we gain faith. Prophets testify whether it's in the scriptures or in conference they bear testimony and it happens so we can have faith that what they're saying is true 
Now, what is it that he, which prophets is he talking about and which circumstances? That's what makes this little section so amazing. Look at what the Lord does. Because he's about to take an Old Testament prophecy. He's going to meld it with a, uh, a New Testament parable. And he's going to put them together to teach this lesson. So it's going to be a wonderful meld of Old and New Testament together. And I think it's worth taking the, the time to see ex exactly how the Lord does this. And again, the genius behind this is so beautiful and poetic that there's no way Joseph Smith pulls this one off. <laughs> he just doesn't. Uh, I think it's amazed Joseph as much as anybody else. Okay? All right. Verse 8. In, in setting this kingdom up here, I need you to be aware that also a feast of fat things shall be prepared for the poor, and a feast of fat things of wine on the lees, well refined. Okay? Oh. If you're any kind of scriptorian, where are you going to find a feast of fat things and wine on the lees, well refined? And you can cheat and look at the cross-reference that I already plugged in there. He's quoting Isaiah. This is the... So, let me just hop over here for a sec. So we're going to go Isaiah 25. He's talking about the time that, that uh, the Jews will be returning to Jerusalem. They've been cast out. And then they will be brought back in. That future day, right? For, Lord, thou hast been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shadow from the heat, when the blast of the terrible ones is a storm against the wall. Thou shalt bring down the noise of strangers and the heat in a dry place. Five, and in this mountain. What mountain is he talking about? Mountain of the Lord. Mountain of the Lord. Which mountain? Temple. Moriah. The Temple Mount. In this mount. Remember, he's in the court of Hezekiah. They're, they're in there. They're on Mount Moriah. Okay? In this, in the temple. In this temple shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things. A feast of wine on the lees. Remember, this is the really good wine, the stuff with the particulates at the bottom that have had time to really infuse flavor into the, the wine. So it's a feast of fat, the best, the best feast, the best wine, the best stuff. This is a feast of fat things, uh, a feast of wine on the lead. It'll be kind of like our oral final in a few weeks. It'll be the feast of fat things, yes. <laughs> or or gluten-free things, depending on what we decide to bring. Yeah. Okay, a feast of fat things, a feast of wine on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wines on the lees, well refined. Okay, in other words, he's trying to say, in this mountain there will come a time when you will come back to this place, to the temple, and receive the best things. Now, little little sidestep for just a second. You picture the temple that way? I mean, how often do we get, do you go, I'm going to go up to the temple, or I'm going to go down to the temple, and I, because I want a feast of fat things. 
I'm going to feast on the temple session. I'm going to feast on the spirit in the celestial room. I'm going to fi- or how often do we get caught up and going, okay, I've got five names that need to get done. We're going to go and hurry and get them done. Or if we go in the morning, then we've got things all going this afternoon. So if we actually go to a quick temple session this morning, hustle, hustle through here. Okay, good, it's a small session. It won't take us as long to get everybody through here so I can get through and get, get redressed and get out here so I can go ahead and do the rest of the stuff I've got this afternoon. Uh, I'm good. It's really good that I got my temple session in. Or do we go, I want to go and receive a feast of fat things. I'm going to soak up. I'm going to absorb. It's like general conference. Yeah, I'm gonna, I just want to soak it up. Only in this, but what would happen if general conference was always the same talk? There will be one talk and it will always be the same. And it never changes. We might have different actors, but it's the same. It's the same. The same talk over and over and over and over. Would your mind wander? Does it? Yeah. yeah. This one was different. This is yeah. Yeah, I like this E better. Okay. <laughs> okay. But uh, but the reason why there's symbolism in the temple is to say each time you go this can be a feast of fat things depending on where you are at the moment, what's going on in your life, what your needs are, uh, what, what your brain is open to being taught. You're going to seek answers. You're going just to seek refuge. A feast of fat things. The temple is to be a feast and a place where we go and, we re- and we've been feasted. And you walk away full going, wow, that was, I'm so full. It's so great. I need a nap. <laughs> it's easy when it's the same thing over and over that we, do, that we don't get, where we get caught in all of that. Okay? But that happens in this mountain. And so, by the way, I love the imagery here because where are they standing at this moment? On a place for a future temple. Now, watch now what the Lord does, though. He's going to go, okay, so let's go back here. So we're back in D&C 58. Also, a feast of fat things might be prepared for the poor. Who's going to enjoy the feast of fat things? It will be the poor. And you could say, well, I wonder who the poor is is that are going to be able to enjoy the feast of fat things in a temple setting in the New Jerusalem. Now, look at where he goes. Yay! A supper of the house of the Lord, well prepared, unto which all nations shall be invited. First the rich and the learned, the wise and the noble. Wait a minute. Haven't we heard this story before? Guess where this one is? Oh, wait, there's a cross-reference. You can see it. Let's go over to Matthew 22. Okay, so I'm going to hyperlink over here. Matthew 22. This is a parable of Jesus. And he's going to say, Jesus answered and spake unto them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, and he sent his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. He said to the servants, Tell them what you're bidden. I prepared my dinner... I built a temple. 
My oxen and fatlings are killed. There is a feast of fat things waiting for you. And all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. Come to the marriage. By the way, sometimes the, the marriage ceremony uh, consisted of, a, of a, the, the wife who is veiled, that she is kind of symbolically like the, the church. She's veiled and, and she's standing before the Lord, kind of thing, just saying. Come to this, uh, the, uh, I prepared my dinner, all things are ready, come unto the marriage. They made light of it. Um, and in fact, they killed some of those people that were trying to invite them to the wedding. Well, that's rude. You get a temple or a uh, wedding invite and you kill the postman. <laughs> Strange. Okay. When the king heard this, he was wroth. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed the murderers, burned up the city. Then he said unto his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden are not worthy. People you would expect to come to this great of feast aren't worthy. So who's he going to tell to go get? So the servants went out where? Verse 10. Into the highways and gathered together as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was fit, furnished with guests. Okay? So... By the way, there is one guy that shows up. <laughs> Verse 11. Uh, the king came to see the guests. There was a guy that did not have on a wedding garment. You have to be invited to this wedding. And because when the servants come, how would they get a temple a wedding garment? The servant would invite you and then give you the garment. And, and the, he's going to come and say, only those that are prepared, that are, have the garments, are the ones invited to the feast. Okay? You see the imagery here? Okay, now let's, let's flash back now. Let's go back to section 58. Put it together because the Lord has done this magnificently and I just love the melding of this. For these people back to verse 8 there's going to be a feast of fat things that Isaiah uh, prophesied might be prepared for the Poor. Who's the poor? The ones that the servants have gone out and found and brought to the brought to the table. Okay. Of wine on the lees, well refined. A supper of the Lord's house prepared, unto which all nations shall be invited. You would think if it's that great a feast that kings and queens and important people would show up to this great feast. I think there's a, isn't there a uh, presidential feast in the White House this week for the, for, uh, the president of France? And it's going to be the finest of everything. Okay, this, is a, this is a feast of fat things. And we're going to invite the very best people to show up. Okay? The best China. <laughs> and in this case, this, this, this feast will be uh, all nations invited. They will say no the rich and the learned. After that cometh the day of my power. When, who's going to come to the feast? The poor, the lame, the blind, the deaf shall come into the marriage of the Lamb and partake of the supper of the Lord. Huh. 
So, brothers and sisters, who is the poor, the lame, the blind, and the deaf? It would be us. Let me put that, let me put this in different terms. Other people will reject it, but then come the wounded. The wounded shall be invited to my place. The wounded of mortality will come to the feast, will come to the supper to receive a feast of fat things. And we're told about a broken heart, and we all know what a broken heart is. Yeah. But a contrite spirit is a bruised spirit. It really is. And, and we just, and, and mortality just beats us up. It really does. And every week, every week we're beaten up by just our own sins and our own personalities and our own struggles. And we drag ourselves into a kind of a, a uh, representation of the temple. We drag ourselves where? Into sacrament meeting. And we partake of the Lord's Supper, which is the sacrament. We're receiving, it looks like bread and water. But it really is a feast of fat things. Prepared for the blind and the halt and the lame, the wounded of the world. It's not, listen closely, it's not prepared for the perfect. <laughs> it's, not, it's not there for only the perfect get to take the sacrament. And the sacrament meeting and the church is not, it's, it's a sinner's club. <laughs> the church is a sinner's club. It is of woundedness. And we're just all there doing the best we know how to do. Okay? And I love that imagery of saying, so... Basically what he's saying, you're now going to go out from this place and preach the gospel. Who's going to accept the gospel? The wounded. Those that need it, the, 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 the sinners. The, we, are, we are the guys on the road to Jericho that are on the road bleeding. You know, and he says, and the Samaritan is going to show up. It's your job to pick him up, put him on the donkey, take him to the wedding feast. That's what we're supposed to do. Okay? Does that sort of make sense? I just think it's beautiful how the Lord is saying to them while they're standing in this place. And sometimes there's added significance. I, I think we had, those of us who were in Israel kind of had that, it's one thing to learn a lesson, it's another thing to be standing where it, it's happening. You go, wow, it takes on added significance. And those same people that were also forbidden to go Yes, because originally, yeah, uh, if you go back like to the Savior's parable, the people that were the poor, the halt, the lame stuff, they weren't invited, they weren't going to be invited to the king's feast in the first place, and suddenly they are. And I think, and I think for these early saints, they're like, we're kind of the persecuted, people are making fun of us, and we're the ones being invited to the feast. That's, that's got to feel great, yeah. Uh, I had a granddaughter get married last Tuesday in the Provo City Center Temple. Yeah. And behind the temple, they have like a rotunda. I don't know. Yeah, uh-huh. With the Christus uh, there. Right. And it was interesting because those of us who were in the temple, when we come back out, 
there were the relatives who couldn't come into the temple, but they had that beautiful setting. And my little, one little granddaughter, she tried to crawl up him because she wanted to hug Jesus. Oh. Ah. And it was just such a, you know, there were people like her, but my son-in-law also had his brother and his wife come down from Washington State who are not members. And they just sat there and looked at that and then kept looking at the temple. Yeah. And I thought, that to me is just like, uh, that's what they're there for. Yeah, and you hope one day they would be able to enter yes. in, into yes. that. Okay, now, in the time we have remaining, um, so now, so here's the, here's the problem that we have. Here are these lofty kind of things. Here's what's about to happen, and we're going to build the new Jerusalem. We're going to build the temple. We're going to build the, the city. We're going to invite people to come to the wedding feast. This is just massively wonderful. Um, by the way, if you go into the book of Moses, and we talk about Enoch City, and it was caught up to heaven, how long did he preach to them? before they actually were caught up to heaven? 300 years. Over 300 years. 365 or 364 years. Now, in their, in their line of expectations, that's a much shorter time frame. We think in 1831, when is the second coming going to happen? Tomorrow. As fast as we can get this temple built. We gotta hurry. Gotta hurry. Now. <laughs> so guess who all, all this is gonna fall on? We need to purchase land, we need to divide inheritances out, we need to purchase the property, we need to build the temple. By the way, they're gonna send him a uh, uh, plat. Oliver Cowdery is going to bring the plat of New Jerusalem and it will happen next year and it's going to have they're, they're not just asking for one temple they're asking for 24 temples a 24 temple complex and we will talk about that so but think just in these initial standing where they're going they're all standing on this land and, and they're going here's all these wonderful things that's going to happen and we're going to turn the main responsibility because Joseph says and I'm going back to Kirtland who's it all landing on Bishop Partridge. And I have, I have had that experience. I know what that sense is like when, when the stake president goes, you are now the bishop. Good luck. <laughs> You've been set apart with all the blessings and the keys and you are wonderful and fantastic and people will love you. And then they go, see ya. We're going home. And you're just standing there in the office going, Oh my gosh. <laughs> now, oh my, oh my gosh. Wow. Greg, you ever have that feeling? <laughs> president, what happens when the uh, general authority leaves and goes, you're the stake president, good luck, and we're out of here. <laughs> That's when Jerry says, come on, let's put you to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow is another day and the meetings begin. Okay, yeah, I think there's that moment. And, and Edward Partridge, bless his heart. By the way, he is one of the, he's the, pro, he's the most, probably most prominent member buried in the old temple, in the old burial ground in Nauvoo. Ed, Edward Partridge is great, okay. 
Um, Edward Partridge. For this cause I have sent you hither, and have appointed my servant Edward Partridge, and have appointed him unto this the mission in this land. Now, I want to back up here. We first meet Edward Partridge. Let's, I'm going to go back to DNC 41 for just a second. And this this is in February, just as jo Joseph has just arrived. Okay. Again, I have called my servant Edward Partridge, and I gave him commandment that he should be appointed by the voice of the church and ordained a bishop unto this church to leave his merchandise and to spend all his time in the labors of the church. To, to see to all things shall be appointed unto him the laws in the day I shall give them. Brother Partridge had no idea what was coming his way. <laughs> okay? And 11, and this because his heart is pure before me, for he is like unto Nathaniel of old, in whom there is no guile. Wow. That's actually on his tombstone. Wow. Yeah. Uh, they, they carved that in there. He is like unto Nathaniel of old, in whom there is, that's the man I want serving as my bishop. So now he stand. yeah. Al just brought up an important point. Edward Partridge didn't have the two-volume handbook. <laughs> Great. So, so where is the handbook for my calling here? <laughs> That's a great point. Okay. What am I supposed to do? Uh, you're going to find out when you get to independence. And now he's just listened to, we're going to do a feast of fat things. There's going to be a, a wedding feast. And we're going to go out and we're going to bring all these people in. Well, and we need to purchase all the land between here and the river. so that it, and, and you're going to give out all of their inheritance. And they're going to consecrate their properties to you. And you're going to be the one telling them you get to have, you're going to be steward over this stuff, this part we can use in the church so we're going to take this part from you and give it to somebody else I mean it's just like this full weight of all of this I think is descending on him so when we get to so when we get to section 58 and we've just find about all these things verse 13 the testimony shall go forth from Zion the mouth of the city of the heritage of God wow for this cause I have sent you hither, and I have selected my servant Edward Partridge to have appointed unto his mission in this land. <laughs> okay, now, be careful that you don't miss this. Verse 15, but this man without guile, if he repent not of his sins, which are unbelief and blindness of heart, let him take heed lest he fall. What? doubts do you think Edward Partridge had? Himself. Say it again. Doubted himself. Absolutely. <clears throat> Chief among whatever doubts, he may have doubted, he, he did doubt Joseph Smith's wisdom a little bit on saying, that's not great land that you want me to purchase. Uh, there was a little dispute between him and Joseph on that, but by and large, this man without guile, who has to repent of his sin which is unbelief and blindness of heart where are his chief doubts 
of himself. And in fact, that is the case. We have a letter, part of the Joseph Smith paper project. There's a letter from him back to his wife in Kirtland, and he says, I don't know that I can do this. The, the journey is too great. There's too much here. I have my own personal doubts that I can pull this off. And he was overwhelmed. No, and you really can't blame him, can you? Um, now, unbelief and blindness of heart. Do you identify with this at all? <laughs> I remember when our when our daughter was born. And, and, and I remember that my mother-in-law was in town and, and then it was time to take her to the airport. We're living in Provo. Take her to the airport, send her back to Texas. And I come home and Cindy and I sit on the couch and we look at this baby. And we go. <laughs> and now we're parents. Unbelief, blindness of heart. is Yeah. What if we screw this up? What if we screw her up? What if we mess up her life? What if we miss a feeding? What if we don't know how to change her diaper? What if she cries and we don't know how to shut her up? Would anyone yeah. have been someone that could have taken on the Missouri no. Project? Wasn't it? Yeah. I think, I think no matter who this would have landed on, and I believe there were a number of times when Joseph felt the weight of this, and certainly he will feel the weight. He's going to do all of this, and then we get to, he receives word two and a half years later that Zion has fallen, and that the saints are lying on the other side of the river in a rainstorm bedraggled, and they've lost all of their stuff, and he had promised that this would be their inheritance forever, and now suddenly they've been thrown out of Jackson County and he felt the weight of that and I think we all get to those places and it is it's interesting that the Lord says he needs to repent we go well no they're doubts and he goes repent and trust me oh great so now I'm not only in, incapable of doing all these things I'm being sinful because I doubt me on top of that <laughs> is hard okay how do you fight through something like this a lot of prayer. Get up and get moving. Sometimes isn't it just like take the next step? Just get moving. I remember with that baby sitting there in front of us in, in that little apartment, that basement apartment in Provo, we just went, well, I guess we could feed her. <laughs> Maybe we'll start there. Isn't it better? Don't you think it's so wise to pick someone who's that humble yeah. and has some self-doubts and to work with that situation as opposed to someone who's very cocky and proudful and think I know how exactly what to do and won't listen. Let me repeat that. Wouldn't have been if the key is this is somebody without guile wouldn't it have been better to call somebody that would have some doubts and some humility as opposed to somebody who is cocky and is going to mess it up. So that ought to be some comfort to you when you receive, you're sitting across from the bishop or state president or, and they say, we need you to do X. 
and you go, I, I think I'm the wrong person. I can't, that's, no, I can't do that. Would you take over and do the ward dinner for the ward Christmas dinner? And we wanted as good as it was last year. <laughs> and they had real camels and donkeys, by the way. <laughs> we want we want one of those Shazam kind of experiences. And you got. I, I remember sitting in a in the middle of a ward council, and that assignment was given to one of our auxiliary leaders. Would you take the Christmas? Uh, uh, ward party and he went only if you want it to be kind of cruddy <laughs> it's not going to be all that great <laughs> and, and, and the bishop goes well okay then we'll give it to somebody else thank you <laughs> true story okay Alright, so I just think, I, I, love, I love Edward Partridge and this without guile sense because I think this ought to be so human to each of us to just say sometimes it feels like what we're being asked to do. I knew how to raise a 7 year old, I have not a clue how to do a 13 year old. How do I do a hormonal 15 year old boy? I don't know that, that I, there's no handbook on that. Now, this is where we get, in this context is where this verse now comes. The one that we've used so often in the church. And I think has been misused in a number of places to try and somehow be a direction and a, and a uh, guidebook on how we're supposed to pray. And I really have a problem with this when we use this in the wrong context. For behold... Edward, <laughs> it is not meet that I should command in all things, for he that is compelled in all things the same as a slothful servant, and not a wise servant, there he receiveth no reward. Um, now, we have taken that to mean, this is how I'm, I'm not supposed to pray that often. I'm just supposed to, if I pray, I'm asking for things, and I should just go and do them. And I don't think that's what the Lord is saying at all. Verily, I say, verse 27, men should be anxiously engaged in a good cause and do many things of their own free will and bring to pass much righteousness. And then there's this interesting little key here, and I think you have to... I'm going to block out my comment. Verse 28. For the power to do these things is in them. And then there's an interesting phrase, really interesting phrase. Wherein they are agents unto who? Themselves. Now, we talk a lot about, we talk about being an agent of somebody. What are we talking about? What's that? Agents. We are an agent. I am representing a 
company. I'm representing an interest. We are agents of the Lord. Uh, missionaries are supposed to be go out as agents of Jesus Christ. They are to do what he would do to fulfill the things that would be important to he who has given them the commission to go do what they're supposed to do. They are an agent and a representative of that entity. Is an agent. And we're good with that. But the, the phrase here and the way the Lord phrases it is really interesting, I think. Explain to me what it means, wherein the power is in them, wherein they are agents unto themselves. <coughs> what does that mean? How do you be an agent unto yourself? To who? To who? Yeah, because the, 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 the key to the second one, wherein they are agents unto themselves, is in the first line. Where does that power reside? In us. Where did it come from? God. From God. He, so he's placed in us that power, that knowledge, that understanding to be an agent unto us. We're supposed to respond to what? to that inspiration, to that guiding, to that power. You have been given the keys. Part of what we heard in priesthood meeting, in general conference, is brethren, when you're given a blessing, don't pray, don't do it as a, a prayer. You're supposed to give a blessing. Give them a blessing, don't just pray over them. In other words, give them certain things. I, I, I've told the story of the uh, the really, really worried bishop that when he was uh, setting uh, my mother apart to a, a calling, uh, I don't remember what it was, uh, and she had been childless for nine years, and, and he laid her hands on her head and gave her a blessing, and he said, the Lord knows your desire to be a mother in Zion, and, and the blessings of motherhood are already upon you. And then he basically freaked out. Because <laughs> he, he then went home and told his wife, he says, I think I just destroyed Sister Hinckley. <laughs> I told her that I told her that she's. I basically told her she's pregnant. The blessings of motherhood are all. What did I do? How? Did, what was I thinking? Oh my gosh! And he was really relieved. <laughs> Within the week, when my mom came along to announce that I was coming, <laughs> after nine years. That was a really good... Because then he could go to his wife and go, She's pregnant. <laughs> oh, it worked. <laughs> the power is in us. And sometimes the power guides and directs us to do things. And to do what we're being directed to do. And we just kind of go, No, it can't be... And sometimes without guile, it just says, I'm going to trust what it is. I'm, being trust, I'm going to trust what I think I'm being told what I need to do here. So, all right. Uh, 31, by the way, Edward, <laughs> who am I, saith the Lord, that have promised and have not fulfilled? I command and men obey not, I revoke. Uh, some are going to say this is not his work. Uh, 
And then he's going to give directions, a variety of other directions. He's also going to call some people to repentance. And, and let me finish with this. Those of us that are wounded and we carry the wounds of our past and the things we've done. This, this is one of the most hopeful verses in all of Scripture. Behold, he who hath repented of his sins, the same is forgiven, and I, the Lord, remember them no more. I, the Lord, remember them no more. It's not like, I will remember it if again if you do it again. He says, no, I, rem- I remember it. It's gone. It does not exist. Well, how comforting is that? Okay. Well, that, there, there was other things that we could have talked about today. I just think this is an incredible moment. Uh, and I, I just think it's, it's such a... We talked about how magnificent a moment it was for Joseph and Oliver to be sitting across the desk from each other. And it's like that constituted the entire church and the kingdom of God right there with the plates under a blanket and Joseph and Oliver and they were the entire kingdom of God. Especially after they came back from John the Baptist. That's them. Now we have this moment where you have this little intrepid group of saints standing in the, on the temple lot in Independence, Missouri saying we are going to build something that will fill the entire earth and that your work will hasten the day of the second coming. But you're going to have to be clean to do it and you're going to be overwhelmed when you do. And you do the best you can. I just think that's tremendous. And I, that's why I think that I love church history because you just see very human people trying to accomplish something that is extraordinary and then seeing them lifted above their own abilities and talents to do that. Any final comments on this before we wrap it up here? Okay. All right. Uh, I bury my testimony. This, this amazing group of people, uh, I am so anxious when I get, after this life, there's so many people I want to meet. And I've, you know, from the New Testament, I would really like to, to meet the, the lady who touched the hem of the garment of the Savior. Her, her I'm, I, I want to meet the widow of Zarephath. I want to meet Peter. I want to meet Edward Partridge. He was. The second elder of the church. Uh huh. Yeah. He was right there with Oliver was standing right there with him. Yeah, and, and, and you have, and when I see the face of Oliver Cowdery, you know, we have this photograph of him. And, you just, and when I think of a face without guile, look at, find that photograph and you see his face and you go, yeah, this is a man who see, saw the Savior. It's just such a sweet face. But there are these people that we want to meet. These are, our, these are the heroes in our past. Uh, and they were very human and they were very overwhelmed. And they had their good days and bad days, like us. And I pray that we can really kind of, kind of find a way to connect with these people who knew the Savior. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.